listening to This Thing We Call Art, a podcast about the issues and inequality surrounding artistic labor. I'm your host, Kelly Lloyd, a visual artist, essayist, and educator currently based in the UK. I've been interviewing people in the arts about their livelihood since 2017, and today you're going to hear a conversation I had on the 24th of February, 2022, with Zarina Muhammad and Morgan Quaintance at the Whitechapel Gallery. This event was organized by Ruth Lee, a curator at Public Programs at Whitechapel Gallery, who I met while we were both artist mentors at Space Studios London Creative Network Program. I'll let Ruth introduce us. Hello, good evening everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Um, my name's Ruth Lee and I'm the curator of Public Programs here at Whitechapel Gallery. I'm really, really happy to, uh, that <laughs> Morgan Quaintance, Zarina Mohammed, and Kelly Lloyd are here tonight. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Uh, this panel discussion forms part of our Ways of Knowing series, which is a program of art and ideas that explore alternative ways of thinking about our relationship to the world. For our spring season, we're exploring ideas around work and process, inspired by a century of the Artist Studio exhibition a 100-year survey of the studio through the work of artists and image makers from around the world, which opened here at the gallery today. Uh, please also visit the Living Studios in Galleries 5 and 6, if you can, which is a free making space, um, and it's open until 9 o'clock tonight. As part of this, um, I think it's really essential, especially within the institutional context of a public programme, to examine and acknowledge the issues arising from inequalities in the creative sector. And as such, I hope we can touch upon some of these concerns this evening. So I'd like to introduce um, Morgan, Zarina and Kelly. Um, Morgan Quaintance is a London-based artist and writer. His moving image work has been shown and exhibited widely at festivals and institutions, including MoMA in New York, Images Festival in Toronto, and the International Film Festival in Rotterdam. Over the past 10 years, his critical writings on contemporary art, aesthetics, and their socio-political context have featured in publications including Art Monthly, The Wire, and The Guardian, and helped shape the landscape of discourse and debate in the UK. Zarina Mohammed. <laughs> It's <laughs> like a chuckle down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Serena Mohammed is a writer, art critic, and is the co-founder of The White Pube, an online art criticism platform that publishes reviews, essays, and more. White Pube's recent pamphlet for Rough Trade Books, which came out in November last year, called Ideas for a New Art World, which you can get in our bookshop tonight, uh, collects exactly that, their ideas for a new art world, during a time when things can really feel quite broken. Uh, Kelly, who will be chairing this event this evening, is a transdisciplinary artist who focuses on issues of representation and knowledge production and prioritizes public-facing collaborative research. She's currently doing a PhD in fine art at the Ruskin School of Art, uh, is a member of 12O Collective, and was recently a mentor as part of Space Studios' London Creative Network program. Kelly's podcast, This Thing We Call Art, began in 2017, and since then, she's interviewed 85 people in the arts about their livelihoods, documenting diverse stories of artists as workers. In addition to the online archive, which will be continuously updated, she'll share excerpts from a series of interviews through a podcast, which is available now on her website, thisthingwecallart.com. 
So the panel's going to last around 45 minutes, and then there'll be plenty of times for time for questions afterwards. Um, and finally, if you're able to wear a face mask, uh, we'd really appreciate you doing so. So I'm going to hand over to Kelly now. Thank you. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, I think we're just gonna have a chat, like a pretty informal chat. Um, I guess talk about the the inequalities in artistic. What is it? Issues and inequalities surrounding artistic labor, um, but uh, in a in a casual way, I think. Hopefully, not like a really intense way. Even though all this stuff is really intense. Um, uh, maybe, do you have anything you want to add to your bios or your introductions? Um, oh God! Wait, I just want to say yours is very official. That's a very is professional bio. Was it? It's kind of intimidating. <laughs> yeah. I tried to make it as like chill as possible and not overstuff it with stuff. You know. No, that's. I've, so I tried to be like more acquaintance as an artist and writer, and people were like no, <laughs> you know, there has to be some detail in it. So, um, yeah, I provided some. Actually, I didn't do that. Someone else did that. Somebody else did. Yeah, some. I, I think I, that's the best way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not somebody else like employed. I mean, someone. <laughs> I mean, someone. Someone else put that together. Like you know. Oh, like surprise. yeah, intro, what someone like, here? Yeah, yeah. Chapel, I think maybe yeah. Ruth did it. Ruth yeah. put it. Sorry, Morgan. Thank you, Ruth. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, do you want to add anything to? I mean, also, I don't know if your bio was separate from the white pube or oh, no, if yeah. it was to get or like what. I don't know. Do I you want to say anything else about you before we? Just chilled, nice guy. Looking to make friends yeah. like, you know, after the pandemic. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Panel as connections. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm serious. Like, yeah. I'm actually <laughs> serious. Like, cool. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourself in any other way? Oh no, yeah. I'm the white pube. I always send over the white pube bio rather than mm. like a, I don't know, an individual one. I don't know why. It just makes more sense. I feel like, I feel like it's embarrassing to be. Introduced by my name, conversely, it doesn't make sense. Okay. So, like, I walk into a room and I'm like, hello, I'm the white pube. That's less embarrassing to me. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just having the cover of like other people. Hmm. I don't know. So, you don't want to say, like, hi, my name is Sweetman. Hi, my name's Sweetman. <laughs> I'm here to have fun and be myself. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, uh, I feel like I have to do one of these now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, hi, my name's Kelly Lloyd. I'm here to be with people who I am interested in talking to and respect and also to prove to myself that I still have a career. Um, yeah, also to have fun and stuff, you know. Um, cool. Um, I mean, I do, I want to just ask you both how you're doing in general, <laughs> um, specifically in terms of like your material conditions, um, but also don't, um, feel free to not answer anything that I ask you. Um, and then also feel free to not share anything that you wouldn't want to share. Um, but I did want to start off with like a, a, a tweet that the white pube tweeted this quote, I think, um, this past weekend, if that's okay to like. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And then, um, yeah, and so then maybe, yeah, so I'll start with that, say something else about Morgan, and then just ask you both how you're doing. Um, so this past weekend, I think this past Sunday, the white pube tweeted, um, Everyone in every industry seems to have such low morale at the moment. No will, no joy, just barely clawing forward through the days. Is anyone doing well? Um, I'm a part of a collective uh, with Lou McNamara and Eva Duerden, uh, and we were together in Southend uh, at Metal, where you're also yeah, doing a, non, a non-resident resident. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to be there now, but yeah, thanks. I keep, yeah. 
I'm going to go in a couple of weeks. They said that you were doing a residency like over time. Or something. <laughs> yeah, they did. But they also said, this is the thing. They were like, you don't have to come here. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but the yeah. residency ends in a few weeks. So I'm like, okay. I've got to go up. Okay. But have you been there at all? I've been to metal before. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, wicked. Yeah. 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 Super yeah. lovely. So I was in like this really idyllic situation with friends working. And then Lou read this tweet. And it was like, aloud, yeah, dramatically. to us. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to read it aloud dramatically. And then also, um, so I don't know if you would want to talk about that or not. I just wanted to bring it up. Um, and then Morgan, I just wanted to, so yeah, so with this this project, this thing we call art, um, it didn't start off as a podcast. I just started interviewing people um, in 2017, really just trying to understand like what people were dealing with as people working in the arts. Um, and then over time, it kind of formed itself into an archive, which is now online, and then also this podcast. Um, and so one of the people that I interviewed in the series of people that I interviewed was Morgan. Thanks for letting me interview you, Morgan. Um, and at the time, you were like super busy, but you were thinking that you might need to like ease off a bit. So did you actually do that? I don't remember when we spoke. We spoke like last year sometime like spring last year i don't know you know um i was honestly if i'm gonna be completely candid i was just trying to survive like psychologically it was a very bleak place so i don't remember being like super super like busy and productive i just remember being like hanging by a thread so to speak uh so but i'm still here yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but like i mean that's what I remember from last spring. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> how, Sorry. How, no, no, no. I asked you for it. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Go. No. No. Go no. Ahead. That's enough. Okay. For now. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> no, how are you doing? Yeah. Relatable content. Because, like, I think last year was the most bonkers year of my life. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe exaggeration. I don't know. I feel like being like a toddler must have been pretty wild. But like, I think last year Gab got COVID, then long COVID. And we already kind of have this like quite strange long distance relationship, which is like just takes place purely on WhatsApp. So like I just kind of have to assume that she's there on the other end, like doing good, happy, living life. And then all of a sudden, it's never felt like distance, distance. But all of a sudden, yeah, that distance felt really, really far. And I was like, my friend is not okay. Like that's mental, bonkers. Hate it. And kind of, yeah, same, kind of hanging on through a friend, just like mm. clenching and hoping that at some point it will stop. Yeah. It did. It's all good. Okay. Like, 2022 so, is not as many bad vibes, I think. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so still here, not as many bad, bad vibes, uh, just like as a general update. Um, yeah, um, I think I just kind of wanted to, to ask you, like, if you wanted to talk about your material conditions specifically. Again, you don't have to, like, you know, answer this. I could also answer it. Um, just I know that, you know, um, that, that you also work a part-time job outside of the arts. And then I remember in our conversation, Morgan, you were talking about, well, I think I just asked you the question. I don't even know if it was like relevant to where you were in your career at that point, but just about like, how does one get an article published? And like, if you're still kind of like pitching, 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 or if you have like, you know, kind of a stable foundation as a staff writer, uh, you know, at Art Monthly or one of the other places that you publish. Um, do you want me to start? Yeah, I feel okay. like I'm asking <clears throat> joint questions. So maybe <laughs> if I just do that and then it comes back around. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so um, the way I survive at the moment is that, um, like, 
before the pandemic, well, when the pandemic happened, I was like, I have to get a job. I, I just knew I needed to get a job because I was like, I, there's not going to be, I just was like, I need to get a job. So I got a job um, teaching, lecturing at Kingston. And then I separated from my partner at the time. So I had to move out of my flat. And then I moved in with these like nightmare people. I mean, like they were all right, but it was just really, I could describe them as like aggressively normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were just so like, normal. yeah, it was just so like, and it was just crushing. And so I knew I was like, I have to live on my own, you know? So yeah. basically now my whole entire wage goes on my rent. And so I'm now back in the market, like pitching, pitching, pitching doing things like this and like um and then I realized don't like I have to try and survive on a film festival economy so um I made I I won a few awards like last year and the year before and those awards basically are like my subsistence money so now I'm like I need to make an award-winning film every year so that I can kind of survive Yeah, yeah 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 which is kind of it's weird but it's kind of cool because it's like well, you've got to make a decent one. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it sounds kind of strange, but um, I don't know. I, I sort of, you know, but basically what I'm saying is I'm kind of out there trying to make stuff again because I, I love it, but also because it's a kind of um, existential imperative too. Yeah. Can I just like ask a follow-up question about, because I know nothing about film screenings and like how much money you're paid, you know, for the distribution of your film, but then also like if you're in a film festival, are you paid... To participate or is it really only like what if you get a if it's an award-winning film and then like how if you don't mind me asking no, like I'm how totally much money is that, that? Stuff. yeah so so like 5k you usually get about 5,000 if you win a prize so but some people don't give you a prize they just give you prestige <laughs> yeah um and then um you know when you could fly they'd fly you out somewhere and then I guess um I've only had one statement from uh, my film distributors and it was like about two grand for like a year's worth of film. So that would be like, but then, you know, I don't know because, well, let's see what it's like this year because the the first year of the pandemic, everything went online. So everybody was like renting films. So I don't know if that's like an unusual amount or an average. Um, Yeah. Yeah. How... On your on the website too, it says I have a part time job. Don't ask me about it, or like it's none of your business or something. <laughs> so also, if it's none of my business, you know. No, no, that was a different job. So like, um, when the pandemic started, or before the pandemic started, I used to work for a VIP travel company. Okay. Doing their like social media, it was so silly. It was like very girl boss life. <laughs> I used to work three days a week. I but I got paid awfully, like buttons. But it was all right because I was kind of clocking three days a week, running around doing things like this, like jet set life like three days a week in the office and then I'd be like in Oslo for the weekend and like <laughs> spending all the money I was earning because Oslo is really fucking yeah. expensive <laughs> but um, I live with my mum so it's fine um like didn't have to worry about rent which is huge privilege like massive pressure off um but then during the pandemic obviously travel stopped so no more travel job and it was also kind of all right I was all right with that because my boss then turned into like an anti-vaxxer hashtag pandemic person because I think she just like it just the the whole kind of travel has to stop thing she couldn't compute it and I was like yeah no I need to leave because you're scaring me (laughs) um and then I got Mm -hmm. a new job doing one day a week for a sustainable fashion 
social enterprise. And because they're a social enterprise, they pay me a lot better. Mm. I work one day a week, literally a day job, and I get paid £150 as a day rate standard, and everyone kind of gets paid the same amount. Um, so that's really good. Love that. Much happier. No nutters. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Because they're a social enterprise, they pay you more. Oh, so like everyone's on the same wage, I think. Ah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that kind of is... I, I don't actually know what essential, like, a social enterprise is, but that's what it means to them. Neither do I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in one of the many things that you wrote or something, it was quite interesting because you spoke about having a part-time job being a kind of privilege to then allow you to say no to like things that you wanted to, you know, things that you were asked to do in the art world or something like that. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was quite interesting. Like, I feel like whenever I think about how many jobs I have to work, it's always... Like, I'm always resentful of it or something as opposed to, like, seeing it as maybe some kind of a privilege to, like, set boundaries in certain ways. I mean, most of the time it's very bad. Um, but, like, sometimes it is nice to, yeah, work at a cafe or something like that um, so that I can not do something that somebody else wants me to do. Hmm. I think, I mean, I'm using the word privilege there maybe a bit carefully because it's like a, it's a day job where I'm doing, like, an office kind of nice white collar kind of thing. Like, in both of those situations, I had, like, quite a nice, like, office and, like, I'd get to have a chat. Like, it's bullshit jobs, basically, where I'm not really doing anything. I can just turn my brain off for, like, a day or three days and just kind of <laughs> put things into the social media scheduler. But, like, it's really, it kind of makes sense as, like, quite a cushy thing for me. Um, I think if I was kind of working retail or, like, customer service or, like, hospitality, I'd feel really differently about it. I'd feel a lot more burnt out, but, like... I just kind of have nice conversations with people, like make coffee, go to like a fancy bougie studio, really like all the people I work with. And I think I kind of end up feeling quite grounded at the end of it. I can kind of, the art world feels a bit odd at times. So when you like have to explain it from like to like Janet from accounts that like you're off to Oslo next weekend because there's like a, an art weekend. And Janet's like, wow, that's so glamorous. And I'm like, well, actually, it's not. It's really fucking knackering and, like, it's this, that and the other. Like, it doesn't kind of link up. It's quite nice. It, like, takes you back to the real world because, yeah, art feels a bit odd. And in terms of being able to say no, it's been really useful because um, Gab also had a part-time job before the, like, before the pandemic, now kind of is in and out of it. But it's been this really nice way for us to have, like, a stable, bankable income like, we can say no to people we don't want to work with, I think, just because we've got, like, other sources of income that aren't precarious-ish. Yeah. And then I also know that um, uh, White Pube has done a number of things to also kind of, like, court other forms of funding. Um, and and so, like, does that count as the kind of, like, other additional stable thing? Or is that really just, like, Patreon? Like, truly, who knows how much money we're going to get this month? And so you really do just have to rely on, like the part-time jobs or savings or something like that? Well, with the Patreon, it kind of, it can like um, fluctuate. For context, Patreon is a, um, it's kind of quite an American thing. It came about maybe during the YouTube ad apocalypse, if anyone is familiar, when YouTube kind of like really readjusted their ad sense, um, financial kind of terms and conditions, and creators on YouTube started getting paid a lot less um, or like a bit less reliably because the terms and conditions were a bit different. So they turned to this new model of funding where they could be funded directly by their audience who like were really invested, really into it, and they could, like, you know, in the same way you sponsor a donkey, you can like, pay one pound a month, sponsor an art critic, <laughs> um, or like, you know, a YouTube creator or whatever. 
And for us, it's been really helpful because we find it quite awkward asking for public funding. Like, you've got to provide some kind of public value. I don't think we're publicly valuable. We're quite niche. Like, honestly, like, straight up. Like, I think it's quite a niche thing. We're only really useful to our readers. I don't know if we're useful to, like, like my aunts don't read what I write. Like, it's taxpayer money. I take that seriously. Like, I kind of feel bad. Um, but we're already, we're already accountable to our readers, so I think it made sense for us to kind of ask them for a pound a month, if they can. If not, don't worry about it. Um, it can go up and down, but it's a bit more stable at the moment. Um, and we do like odd wheeler, wheeler dealer kind of like Del Boy tactics where we like sell merch to pay for website um, renovations or things like that. It's kind of, none of it is like turning a massive profit. It's, I think it's quite fun to like play the dodgy businessman. <laughs> like, have a go, feel like, you know, a, a contestant on The Apprentice or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, I feel like you're the only person that's ever made crowdfunding seem somewhat appealing. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, and also, like, it's quite interesting what you said, I think, in terms of, um, like, who are you being accountable to and what you can ask of them, and um, that being an understanding that you have of your audience as opposed to maybe crowdfunding being, I don't know, your aunt or something like that, and then you're just, like, always hitting up your aunt for money um, in, like, these different forms, um, which I feel like, I don't know, is my understanding of crowdfunding. Um, but um, obviously there, there are other ways. Um, so, uh, I mean, both of you speak to the conditions of artists and also, um, you know, the, the political conditions of of the arts, very vaguely. Um, sorry to say that very vaguely, um, in a number of ways. Like, and um, and so I just kind of wanted to ask you, I guess, if like what the connection is there between your personal experiences and like your scholarship around these issues, um, or your your advocacy advocacy around these issues, or just your art around these issues. And um, uh, you know, I think this. Maybe also, I want to ask you about studio visit. I'm not entirely sure, Morgan, how this is connected to this question, but I am interested in, so, um, uh, I mean, many of you, I didn't know this when I, when I spoke to you, when I interviewed you, yeah. and I think I didn't know this because it wasn't on your website, yeah. but then as soon as I, like, started talking to people about the fact that I was interviewing people, they were like, oh, like, Morgan had the show on Resonance FM. It was yeah. like, everybody knew about it except for me because it wasn't, because <laughs> I'm not from here, obviously, and then... Um, also because it wasn't on your website. And yeah. so, you know, and you have so many things that you do, you know, we were talking earlier about like what it means to reduce all these things to like artist and writer, but like you were a musician, you are, maybe are a musician? I still, have, yeah, I still yeah. play, yeah. <laughs> um, And you, um, you know, um, are a curator and you are, you know, you were a broadcaster. And so, I don't know. I also just wanted to ask you about um, studio <clears throat> visit. Um eight-year-long program, you interviewing people in the arts. Yeah. Um, you were the first um, to do like an hour That's long. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is right, yeah. Yeah. No, um, just because people have bitten it, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I was out there doing it. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. nobody was doing it. Yeah. Sorry, I should just cut no, it off my no, chest. No, but no, no. So, if I, no, no. So pissed off I mean, that. I, um, or well, one reason so you, you mentioned that to me oh, in okay. our interview. And I wanted to, and I wanted to mention it because I think it is really important, yeah. you know, and I think it's, it's important that you get the recognition that you deserve, but that yeah. it's also important to talk about what it's like to be 
the first. And like, I yeah. got arts council funding for this project, and I remember also talking to you about it, and yeah. you being like, "Oh, like, well, you get funding for it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah no, it, yeah. I just did it because I really wanted to do it, and I was like, I just really wanted to talk to people. And I, I remember when I was in a band before, I, I was going to do this project where I was going to interview people that I was on tour with. And I started with this guy called Harmar Superstar. I don't know if people remember him. Yeah, do you remember Harmar? And like, it was a pretty crazy night. <laughs> like, uh, and so that sort of stopped there. The next one was going to be Peaches, but then we couldn't get it to get, like she wanted to be interviewed right then. And I was like, oh, I don't have my questions. And then the, the rest didn't sort of happen. So when I moved into the art world, I was like, oh, I'd quite like to do this. And um, so I just started talking to people and, and it was just, out of a passion really and uh, I didn't really think about getting money for, for it I just figured no one's gonna give me any funding to do this so I started off by doing one a week and then I was like bro that's kind of a mad schedule because it would take about three days to do the research to talk to someone for an hour and then so then it was like I do seasons of two months on and two months off and then as I went on it just got more and more like further apart and then it was just one a month so yeah, I just did it because I really enjoyed talking to people and I also was like part of the reason I got into writing about art was because I felt so many people were doing it so badly yeah. and I felt like so many people were not really taking analysis of cultural production seriously or, or doing what I would consider like a proper um, like foundation of a discourse like for, like some like I can't I think it was Jean Fisher who said to me one or we were talking one time and she was like it's it's about sort of um, founding a discourse that so you you do a piece or you do a piece of interpretation that allows other people who've done less research to enter into the work because you've created a kind of understanding and I used to really enjoy doing that and I used to really enjoy doing such a high level of research that like in the interview I knew so much about my subject that like. Um, we could be having a surface conversation and then I could just go really deep into the consciousness and ask them a question that not, nobody had asked before. And one interview in particular sticks in my mind. I was interviewing a guy called Clifford Owens. Cliff, Clifford Owens is a performance artist from, you know, from yeah. New York. And around the time, there was, it was, it was that real emphasis on performance artists as like these conduits for like a deep spiritual experiences, that you'd be in the presence of a performance artist and you'd have some sort of profound connection you know, via um, Marina Abramovich, the artist is present. You know, it was a real high point at that moment. So Cliff would do these things where he'd, he'd be this real galvanizer of social connections. And, I, and I, I, what I thought was like, wow, that must be lonely. That must be lonely. Because you, you travel to a different city and you do this thing, you get these audiences together, you talk to them, you ask them about their deepest desires, what do they want? He would do these things where there'd be a big group and he'd ask you your desire and ask you what you needed. You'd state it and then you'd find someone in the audience who could satisfy it for you. And I was like, that takes so much energy. And then you just in your hotel room and it's just you and maybe the assistant curator who might help you get some water or something. And then like you travel to another city and you do it and then you go home and you, and you have to figure out how you're going to make money. And so when I interviewed him, it was in his flat in New York. He just got back from somewhere and there was like boxes and stuff that that were there from him traveling and, and, and like we were talking, 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 we were like winding our way to that question, you know, and I posed it and he asked it. He's like, yeah, I'm always alone. Always, always, always. And I was like, it wasn't about exploiting someone. It was about having mutual trust 
me being vulnerable, him being vulnerable, and us getting somewhere in the conversation, you know? Uh, yeah, so that's why I did it. Um, why did you stop? Or, like, not why, why did you stop, but, yeah, like... Exhaustion. Like, yeah. I wasn't being paid. Like, I mean, it's payment's not the thing, but it's, like, it just took so much energy. And then when I started to see other people doing it and, like, getting more play... I was just like, ah, oh, you know what? <laughs> like, this is the thing that happens when you're like on the periphery, so to speak. You're like, I'm happy here, but I'm pissed. <laughs> you know, I'm pissed. I'm not, you know, why don't I get support? Why don't I, you know, nobody's like giving me the props I deserve for the work. And, you know, it's like, rah, 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 you know. And so I was like, you know, I did it over 100. And I was, I was kind of like, once I'd done 100, I'll stop, you know. And every now and like, I'm supposed to do this interview with um, Adam Farrer, <laughs> and it's just on the website saying interview coming next month. <laughs> and I'm going to have to update it and be like, this series is over. But like, um, there's enough interviews up there and some really special ones, people who, who, who died. So it's like, that was really, I felt really, uh, privilege is a weird word to use, but just like, it just felt great to be able to talk to some of these people and for them to share time with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I guess, yeah, to, to pose this question again, you know, I'm just wondering how, like, your particular material conditions, like, influence, you know, uh, what you decided to do, I guess, especially with the white pube, you know, like, um, how that influenced the way that you work, like, you know, the way that you work collaboratively, the way that you work with Gab, but then also, like, uh, you know, how you choose to work with other people, like residents on your website, obviously, like, people that you interview, you know, um, yeah, like, how, how do your personal material conditions affect the way that you choose to work with other people? Mm. I mean, oh, I think that's a difficult question, because I'm not sure. I, I kind of wonder if the way that we work, like, I don't know if I have a choice. Like, it kind of, it just is collaborative, because I don't think I could... Like, I don't think the white pube would exist if we were both doing it on our own. Like, I don't think it would work in that way. It's just quite nice to have a friend. And I think it's really interesting to hear you say that, like, it's just nice to have a chat with people. Because I think that's often when I feel most kind of excited about the work that I'm doing. When I'm just like, I just really like having a natter. Yeah. <laughs> like, I kind of, I just, I'm really, I, I think I'm just nosy. I really want to know what people are up to. I want to know what their lives are like. I used to kind of... When I was a student, I used to go to weird things like this, and I'd kind of be sat at the back, not really paying attention because I was too busy thinking about like, how much are you being paid? Like, how much are you being paid? What does your life look like? Where do you live? Like, what do you do in a day? Like, there's that BBC. What do I do? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it never asked any question. I know. Right? That was actually <laughs> interesting. It's just kind of like, what does <laughs> Polly Morgan do for lunch? Like, kind of. I think there's so maybe there's so much like mystique and like glamour and like the magic aura of like being an artist it's so like romanticized like I spend so much time on TikTok kind of um like looking at all these like French girls like living their like best Parisian life and I'm like that feels very artist adjacent or like the way we think about artists mm. right like it's so kind of romantic from the outside but it's like really crummy on the inside it's like difficult it's a slog it's horrible grueling like no one pays you and I just kind of, I kind of I think a really nice, easy way to get to grips with, like, maybe that, like, maybe that, that like, discourse level for me mm. is to, like, access it through um, just being nosy about someone's actual real life. So I, I kind of, but maybe it is about material conditions, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure. 
I've not thought about it in that way, basically. Mm. That's what I'm trying to say. I can't, I can't, I've always thought about it as something that's like quite particular to me as a person. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Um, can I just can I just add something? Yeah. No. But yes, I must say, yeah. like, I think one of the things that kept me doing the show, and I was just thinking about this in relation to something that you were saying, was like that. Um, you know, I was sort of addicted to novel ideas. And I, I feel like I'm involved in art because really like it's enriched my life more than anything else. Being exposed to the imaginations of artists. I know that sounds pretentious, but it's kind of like, it's as basic as seeing a film and being like, I didn't, you know, like I was, when I was a kid, I watched this film called Farewell My Concubine. It's a film about opera singers in China. And I was like 12 on an estate bunking off school. And it just blew my mind. Like, I never knew there was this stuff happening or had happened. And it obviously made me think differently. And I think doing the radio show, it's like every time I interviewed someone, I'd like enter into their world and it would expand my mind. And, it would, and I'd also come away with like more ideas and be informed. And basic things like, like I remember I interviewed Carolee Schneeman, right? And I used to think it was Schneeman, right? And she, I remember she, before we started, she was like, you do know my name is Schneeman, right? And I was like, thank, thank fucking God she said that. Because I was going to come in. And it was nice to just have that first-hand knowledge of someone saying, oh, it's Alan Capral, not Alan Capro. You know, you're like, what? you know, yeah, it's just so cool to get primary. Uh, so I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, is it okay if I, like, step in a little bit and talk about myself? Um, Semi-unprompted. Um, yeah, no, I think, and my interviews are quite, you know, I do talk about myself a lot, and I think it is important to, yeah, be, be in this place of vulnerability with somebody else. And um, and I think I also started, yeah, like, I had a really rough time um, when I was in the U.S. after I graduated school, you know, like, I uh, worked at this one school, which then got defunded, um, full of, like, all these really incredible, like, black and brown kids that got defunded. It's still going on. It's totally fine, but it was, like, a third budget cut, so for a while, I was just wandering around, didn't know if I or anybody else had a job and then I worked at a coffee shop and I was like robbed at gunpoint a couple of times and so then it was just this moment where I was like this is bad <laughs> like is it any better for anybody else anywhere else and um so then I started just yeah like having these just doing these interviews as an excuse really you know because yeah. it's like um and then traveling around going on residencies like yeah for sure you can it, it's almost like I needed an excuse to ask the questions I wanted to ask and just to like bypass entirely that whole like, so what do you think about Vienna? You know, like we could just get like straight to the question, which is like, I feel fucked. Are you fucked? Like, um, like, okay, we're both fucked, but you have social welfare. So like, what's going on there? Um, so I think, yeah, like it's not some something about you. I mean, I guess maybe it's a curiosity that we share or something, but then also a way of gathering knowledge by just having these primary conversations with people and then of course doing like a lot of background research beforehand um anyways I felt like no no I kind of that's really it's really interesting to hear you both talk about doing research because every time I go into these like quite <laughs> I kind of maybe maybe this is just the way we work like I think before the pandemic we used to kind of we went 2019 was the white pubon tour we went to like a million different countries went to Oslo four times nearly bankrupted myself really love I love Norway it's so expensive but um and we'd kind of we'd have these conversations where I was like are you fucked we're, I'm fucked are you fucked and they were like no we have loads of money like <laughs> Norway's the only country that operates without a deficit because they got oil money they're fine yeah, yeah. so everyone there living life yeah but like 
it would kind of be the, those conversations where we'd kind of, I don't know, like maybe our identity as critics would would <laughs> allow us like a certain polite nosiness or like a, a, kind, a kind of different way of accessing that, um, yeah, those questions that may, maybe feel impolite or nosy or like intrusive, but like under the under the guise of like critical, <laughs> I'm a critic, ooh, I'm thinking intelligent things, so like tell me, how much is your rent? Like, those kind of questions feel normal in that in, in that context. But then when it comes to like interviewing someone for a text or like we've done like one, two, two podcast episodes where we've like interviewed people for like in, in maybe a different way that, that, than both of you, but like had a chatty podcast episode. We've not really done any research, just kind of gone in and been like, what, what do you do? And like found out on the fly. And I, won I wonder, in, in the scope of that research, like how do you, do you not go into these conversations kind of think that you know what that person's going to say? Well, like, <laughs> like, the thing is, it's like, um, well, you can't really, because like, I, so, I, for example, I interviewed Alana Heiss, uh, she's, the, she's the person who founded PS1, and like, her career is like 40 years long. So I had to do 40 years worth of research. And really, you can't predict what someone's going to say if you say to, like, I, if I know, for example, that one of the things that inspired her to, to do PS1 was that she'd come to England and was influenced by, like, oh, I can't remember what they, the title of it was, but there was a period where they were using, like, disused spaces to put on shows. Like the, like the, like the, like the, 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 the first instance of this happening. And so she took it back to New York, and obviously New York was like running a deficit at the time, so they had lots of space. So I could be like, in knowing that knowledge, I could say to her, oh, Alana, I know that you spent time in England doing this and it influenced you going to New York. Could you talk about that? But she's not just going to say, yeah, I spent some time in England and it influenced me, so I came back and set up PS1. <laughs> she's going to say, I was in England and it was cold, and I was afraid, and I was lonely, and... But then I went, I saw these buildings and they're really interesting. And you know what for? I was like, I'm going to come back. And, P and New York was on fire and the people were setting buildings alight to get the money. See, that's the difference. Mm. It's like knowing the touch points of somebody's life and things that are, might be quite interesting maybe to you. Because I, I, I guess I, I, maybe to me, maybe, maybe I always think on different registers. So personal interest, like sector interest, maybe wider interest. And just allowing small prompts for them to expand and unfold biographical points about their lives. Not, not only biographical points about their personal lives, but sort of social, cultural and economic points and details that are not in books. I think it's really, really important. I'm a massive fan of like, people like Studs Terkel, like old history. You know, it's like, um, there's a thing called the History Workshop Movement, which is about like, um, you know, working class communities coming together to construct their histories. I think if we don't, if like, it's research to research or not research is everyone's prerogative. But for me, it's like, it's a way of understanding the world and a way of gaining autonomy from people who write official histories, because the more you actually understand from primary source material, 
and from people who have done research outside of like the official funding networks and things like that, the more you can construct a counter narrative to the more sort of normative authoritarian one that gets supported and maintained. Because we all know that the stories that are passed down from generation are the ones from the top. Mm. So, um, you know, those, that's a sort of like a noble political reason why maybe I do research. The other thing is I just love reading. I just love reading. And I come from a working class background and people did not do it, you know. And as the fact is, I'm where I am today because I read. Like, and it's a very basic thing, but it's like... Um, and again, one of my lecturers, Jean Fisher, uh, who has passed away, but was like an incredible woman, said to me, like, your power comes from having all of the arguments at your fingertips. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, it's going to come from me being able to go wherever someone else goes and be able to understand what they're saying. Not just because I want to be better than you, but, but it's just like, and maybe it's a, to do with being a musician as well. Like I have, I, I'm a guitarist and I had the relationship to the instrument, which meant I wanted to operate at a certain level of, level of proficiency so that I could express myself properly. And it's the same with vocabulary. If you have a limited vocabulary... How are you going to think complexly? Because your language, it's almost like your resource of expression is so small. And the, what, what, I mean, I'm not dictating everyone has to have this sort of like will self level of like verbosity. But I'm just saying, for me, I found it's liberating when I find new ways of expressing things and nuance. You know what I mean? It's like, because the more you say stuff, the more you're going to say similar things. So it's like if you, I mean, not you, sorry. I was just like, the more I talk, the more possible it is for me to repeat stuff. And so I was like, the way I'm going to try and avoid doing that is to constantly be evolving the way that I speak and express myself in the same way that when I work with film, I'll, ne I'll try not to do the same technique many, many times. Because I don't want to be like Tony Cokes, you know, the guy who just does text on a screen. Like, wicked, but like, that's not interesting to me. It's almost like a, a kind of spot painting, Damien Hurst. You don't want to have a shtick, like... Well, yeah, I guess, or, or a stick or a gimmick, as Sienna and Guy's book, which everyone should buy, on, on affect, on the gimmick, because this new book's really good. But like, um, and it's like... Um, but I just don't feel like that as a person, as a, as a person living in contemporary society. Contemp contemporaneity is heterogeneity, right? Mm. That's my that's my belief, and I feel like I'm a different person. I'll be different tomorrow. That's why I said one of the reasons why I used to avoid saying these things because you kind of feel the you feel the version of yourself, don't you? That can sometimes be recorded, and then people say you said that, and now you're contradicting yourself, and it's like. I contradict myself every day, I you know? That's fine. I, like, mm. I feel like there's something in that, like, just following a thought that can be quite nice. I, I, I know what you're saying. I don't know if I agree, but I find that really interesting. Because, but I wonder what you think about um, the research and the conversations you have. Sorry, yeah, this yeah, is my yeah, interview no, now. No, no, I mean, this is, <laughs> I, you're sitting in the middle. Um, uh, well, no, I'll go into that, but first you should ask what, the, what about what Morgan just said is what you found interesting. Ooh. That you don't necessarily agree with, or what? What did you say? Oh, I just, I just kind of I think it's interesting because yeah, I I find it really um, I, d I don't want to say productive because I feel like that's the wrong word, but I find something quite satisfying about um, doing something again and again. Like you know how dancers when they're rehearsing, they're like, okay, all right, 
yeah, good, that was good, but like do it again, but like maybe a bit more emphasis on this. And I feel like there's something really satisfying and I don't, maybe this is, maybe I'm just really stubborn. Maybe that's what I'm discovering live on the spot now. <laughs> it's new information to me. But um, about having another go at something again. Like I feel like I've written the same text maybe five or six times, just slightly differently, mm. in a different flo- like font, a different mm. flavour. And Well, I wonder yeah. if that connects to what you were saying in terms of like music and like building a craft. And it's like you do have to right, do your research, you do have to do the things over and over and over again so that once you go out there, you know, you can, you can make it your own. But then also I feel like what, what you're talking about is, maybe this goes to, you know, my way of researching, but um, yeah, you could do the same thing, but then if you involve other people, you automatically have more information. Um, and so then after that, you can like go into it again. So, um, I mean, with the podcast, I ended up um, playing it in chronological order um, in part because it felt like it was, I was like chewing on something that you could, at least I felt like I could listen to throughout all of the episodes that I did last year. Um, and, and I think I was still chewing on it after I talked to somebody, but I'd like to hope that I was introducing new information into that thought or, um, you know, seeing it from a different perspective or, um, I was seeing if it was like a big issue, if it was a me issue, if it was a systemic issue, if it was a regional issue or, you know, if it was an issue cause we both went to the same school or something. So I feel like there is a way, yeah, definitely to just like keep going at the same thing, but then, um, and then also the value of keep keeping, you know, uh, keeping at it for craft. Um, but then also what it means to kind of along the way, well, yeah, just like introduce more information. Um, but it's also a way of accumulating skill. And like, for example, when I did this article and I was looking at accounts, if I didn't learn how to read accounts, I wouldn't be able to write about them authoritatively. Financial accounts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I can't just speculate my way into some sort of a conclusion. I need to be able to look at, look at it and understand it as a text. So I think, I think that excites me. It excites me about the legibility of the world and how that's accessible via research. For example, if you learn about interior design, you can read a room. There's no way to intuit that. I mean, you can, you can be like, to a certain point, we can intuit facts about this space and why it's designed the way it is, if it's in a kind of contemporary setting. But the further back you go, the less literate you are and the less sure, I don't know, for me anyway, the less sure I feel of the world. You know, it's like, Oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just like it. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> you make me question that, like, a lot of... Because my immediate reaction is to be like, no, I kind of, like, I can speculate my way towards a conclusion. Well, I don't think hmm. I can. I think yeah, I'm being can't, dishonest though. myself. You yeah. just can't. Um, I'm like... For the sake of argument, though, like, continue it. <laughs> no, no, I don't... I can speculate my way to a conclusion because... I, I, I feel like I'm very attached to my identity. My, an identity as a novice, like I'm new here, I don't know, but I'm yeah. not. Yeah. I'm like nearly six and a half yeah, years yeah, into yeah. this career. For sure. I've got skills. Yeah, yeah. And also, I feel like people, yeah, are like when you ask them these questions in these interviews, like they know what your work is. Like they've done mm. research on you. They can like read what you've done, and and I think they can 
respect, I don't know, like, or maybe yeah. trust you or respect you or at least learn more about you through the work that you've done. So, yeah, no, obviously you're that six me. years in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. If not more. Yeah. But it's like, for example, like, there's this thing called uh, Cape Dutch Architecture. Cape, Cape, Cape Dutch Architecture. Cape Dutch Architecture. And Cape Dutch Architecture, there's a particular well. type of window <laughs> that's, like, was used um, by uh, Herbert, fucking Herbert Baker. And other people who were in something called his kindergarten. Basically, there are these people who used garden city architecture and exported it to apartheid South Africa as a way of segregating the city. Now, because I did some reading about Cape Dutch architecture, I can look around the city and, and read it and understand that that's where that window is from or that window was exported. That's a colonial remnant. That, and when I go to Cape Town in South Africa, I can be like, oh my God, that's the exportation of British town planning to this country. So I think that's what I find exciting about that because it allows me to have a level of analysis beyond just like a kind of phenomenal reading. What I mean by phenomenal is like just reacting to what people are doing in front of me. Mm -hmm. I can have a knowledge of the sort of like architectural grid or lattice that we're existing in. But again, I don't have, this isn't me being like people should research, research or not research um, or, or agreeing or disagreeing with the approach. It's just sort of vocalising what I find so liberating about it. And also to be like, to divorce it from this sort of imposed edict that you must do research in order to be intellectually legitimate. I don't think you need to. It's up to you. But I just feel that there are certain things that doing research will furnish you with. And it's not really a qualitative judgment it's just it's just the fact isn't it if you are interested in hearing more excerpts from conversations i've had with people in the arts over the years head over to the website thisthingwecallart.com this podcast was funded by the arts council england artquest the game trust and tilla studios if you would like to help make the next season of this podcast a reality, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes, becoming a Patreon member, or donating through the PayPal link on the project's website. The logo was designed by Eva Duerden, the episode artwork was created by Fiona Riley, and the theme song was made by Alessandro Moroni. The audio from this conversation was recorded by Chris Penty. Thank you to Chris, Ruth Lee, Morgan Quaintance, Serena Mohammed, Sam Williams, Whitechapel Gallery, and the Public Program. This podcast was produced by me, your host, Kelly Lloyd. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next week for my conversation with Bella Milroy.